0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's nowhere near as talented. He's nowhere near as accomplished, but it's the same type of playmaking ability to extend plays, get away from pressure, pick up clutch gains. I mean, the 21 yard scramble on third and four in the fourth quarter. Saved a drive that wound up leading to the Niners touchdown that really secured this win for them. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. And we have just one game left. It's been five months, 284 NFL games played to get to this point. But we have our Super Bowl. It'll be the Kansas City Chiefs facing the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 58 from Las Vegas in just a couple weeks. Feels like a lifetime away as we sit here after the adrenaline of conference championship weekend. We will have so much content to get you all the way up to the matchup. If you weren't following before, get with us right here. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your stuff, wherever you find your podcast, go find us on YouTube. Subscribe to that. We'll have you covered all the way up to a Super Bowl rematch. The Chiefs facing the 49ers once again after they faced off in 2019. See if it's as memorable as that Chiefs fourth quarter comeback four years ago. Before we worry too much about that, how, how did we get here? What an amazing day of NFL football to cap off our last, our last real Sunday, our last day with multiple games. And what better place to start than a, an absolutely frenetic game out in the Bay. Our NFC championship game right here on Fox looked good on paper, delivered the goods even better. As the San Francisco 49ers roar back to top, the Detroit Lions 34 to 31 in a classic. Honestly looked like it was going to be the most memorable coming out party of all time. The Detroit Lions did not come to play. They were all over the 49ers to start this game. They jumped out to a 14-0 lead. It was 24 to 7 at halftime. And yet that run pales in comparison to the one the Niners went on in the second half. They outscored the Lions 27 to seven in the second half, looking like the juggernaut we saw for so much of the regular season. And as impressive as the rally was, it was also coupled with, we'll call it a collapse of, of Shakespearean tragic proportions. Everything that could go wrong for the Detroit Lions did it's a lot. To summarize, but fortunately, I have an assist from our guys, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. One last time, we're on hand to take me through this remarkable comeback by the San Francisco 49ers. Guys, you know, I, I don't know that I've always been a big believer in momentum, but I got to tell you, I I don't know if I've ever seen anything like the way that this game flipped in favor of the 49ers. And as quickly as it did, what do you think was the biggest key to kind of getting that snowball rolling for the 49ers.
2: Well, I think we talked about it. Look, there were a lot of things, right? There were a lot of plays and sequences that led to the big comeback. But sometimes, as you said on the broadcast, you just need one. And when a ball goes off a defender's head – and then you catch it for 51 yards and it's in his first and goal, and then you score two plays later. That, for me, changed the whole complex of the game.
3: It did, and when it happened, we kind of looked at each other and were like, if, if you're ever going to have a play, bounce your way. Yeah. Man, down 17 in the second half of the NFC Championship is a pretty good time. So it felt like that IU catch, and then he ended up finishing the drive, as you said, two plays later with a receiving touchdown. I think it was really the pass game came to life, and then the scramble ability of Brock Purdy. I mean, how many times did he get out of trouble and both extend to make throws downfield and then pick up multiple first downs on his with his legs?
2: Yeah, fifty yards on the ground before the kneel down at the end. It was pretty impressive. It was a big couple of big runs by him.
3: Incredible night by Brock Purdy.
2: All right, let's
1: I mean, let's face it head on. The the talking point for the week is gonna be Dan Campbell's decision making, particularly in the second half of this game. Obviously, the two failed fourth downs. Greg, I think it's It's pretty fitting we talked about this before the game for a while I can see both sides I mean this is this is what got the Lions here was this aggressive decision making but when it backfires you're going to get second guessed is do you do you think they would have or should have or could have done this a different way there in the home stretch of this game
3: yeah I said it during the broadcast I think we have to be careful judging decisions based on the outcome versus judging decisions in the moment whether it was the right decision or not and We started the broadcast saying he needed to play this game to maximize every possession to get to 30. He got to 31, but they needed 34, right? So I think it speaks to those decisions are not made in the moment. Those decisions were made three years ago when he took over this job, and they've led in fourth down tries and conversions. It was made on Monday of this week when they said, okay, we have to play a certain style of offense to keep up with an offense of San Francisco that we knew could come alive at any moment so I'm never going to second guess anybody for making those kind of decisions he needed every point he could and they just didn't have enough
1: I completely agree I'm not I'm not going to dog the guy I think that's that's what got the Lions to this point they're not always going to bounce your way but devastating for the Lions guys what a thrilling way to cap off the season it's it's been so much fun doing this with y'all every week. I I appreciate the time so much. Y'all, y'all take care. Like I said, thanks. Thanks again, man. Dave, we'll see you soon, brother. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. There are a dozen moments from the second half of this game specifically that'll leave you scratching your head, losing sleep, wondering what if. But for my money, the one that matters the most is the play that Brandon Ayuk made in the third quarter, right after Dan Campbell's first failed decision to go for it on fourth down, which, speaking of what if, how does the game change if Josh Reynolds holds on to that pass on fourth and two? But he doesn't. Two plays later, Brock Purdy lofts a prayer to Ayuk, overthrows him so badly that it looks like it's going to be a fairly routine, long interception for Lions DB Kendall Vildor, only for it to clang off of his face mask and into Ayuk's hands, one of the more remarkable playoffs plays I've ever seen, and just a couple snaps later, Ayuk is in the end zone, and it's game on. This is is the true flashpoint for me, and so who better for our own Aaron Andrews to catch up with in the aftermath of this game than the man of the moment, Brandon Ayuk?
3: Brandon Ayuk, overjoyed as you should be. Before we get to your massive catch, down seventeen at the half, what was said in the locker room, BA? We just want to play our ball, play the ball that we knew how. In the first half, we didn't do that at all. Defense came out here in the second half, stood tall, and they just played great. They just did a great job. How about the fact you didn't give up on the ball after it hit the face of in the helmet of the cornerback with the Lions? Tell us all about that catch. Before the game, a ladybug landed on my shoe. Come on. And y'all know what that means. So that's all I can say because other than that, I don't know. I don't know. Just great luck. God was with us today. Great win. Bay, Bay, on her game. It's crazy. We better take that ladybug to the Super Bowl because you're going to be going there to see the Kansas City Chiefs. Congratulations. Great, great job. Brandon, I got to
1: be honest with you. I'm not sure what the ladybug means, but hopefully it happens for you again at the Super Bowl, my man. An incredible performance to cap off a well-deserved all-pro season by Brandon Ayuk. And I also want to take this moment. A lot of wild stuff happened here Please don't overshadow the performance of Brock Purdy in this game. Yes, he has a lot of help from his supporting cast. Yes, he gets away with some things at times, like that big 51-yard gain. But this is the conversation we've had all year. It's so perfect that it happened this way in the NFC Championship game because with all that stuff said, the guy just kind of makes big plays when he needs to. I mean, 65% completion, 267 yards, and the touchdown sparks the comeback. More than anything, and KB mentioned this as well, five carries for 48 yards, buying time against the Blitz, escaping sacks, and finding George Kittle for first downs. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's nowhere near as talented. He's nowhere near as accomplished. But it's the same type of playmaking ability to extend plays, get away from pressure. Pick up clutch gains. I mean, the 21-yard scramble on third and four in the fourth quarter saved a drive that wound up leading to the Niners' touchdown that really secured this win for them. It's not always pretty, and I don't think he's the best quarterback in the NFL. But Brock Purdy finds a way to get it done in ways that other San Francisco quarterbacks just haven't. You can't gloss over that, and he will now have his team in the Super Bowl with a chance to break that Niners championship drought after several others have failed in the last decade. Let's turn it to the Lions because I, sorry, when you lose a 17-point lead in a game of this magnitude, what the Lions didn't do is going to wind up mattering just as much as what the 49ers did do. Dan Campbell caught up with our own Tom Rinaldi after the game to talk about his team's season as well as, Their performance here in the second half and what led to letting this game slip
3: dan no it's not the result you wanted know the emotions are fresh what was your message
4: to
5: your group well you know it's it's hard um it's hard when you it's a special group and uh, when you have the season we had you you know you're doing things right and um but it hurts when you get this far because when you lose, you just feel like everybody else. And uh, and it's hard to get here, man. It's hard. And uh, you got to make the most opportunity. We weren't able to do that. They did. They did. Credit to Shanahan and that team, man. And uh, we knew they wouldn't go away. Um, but ultimately, I told them, don't forget that feeling when we're walking in and they're celebrating and they're they're hoisting a the trophy and they're the representative of the NFC. And... Um, You know, we're told to get out of that area so they can, the celebration can start. And uh, don't you ever forget that. That's what should motivate you to get back.
1: Can't be easy to process the emotions of a game that saw you score points on four of your first five possessions, and then just one of your final five possessions in the second half. That type of night for the Detroit Lions, I credit Dan Campbell for facing the music, especially when his decision-making played such a large role and how this game finished. There's so much more to get to here, though, aside from from that, but the performances of this team, not just in this game, but this season. And who better to help us do that than somebody who's been there every step of the way, our own Fox Sports NFC North writer, Carmen Vitale. She's been on hand throughout this Lions run through the playoffs, and she was at Levi's Stadium on Sunday night to take us through the lion's side of this devastating game. All right, Carmen, this is the brutal reality of the NFL. The lions were seven and a half point underdogs in this game. I think going into it, a lot of people would tell you they're just happy to be here. It's been this incredible ride for Detroit, an amazing season that they'll remember forever. You feel like that kind of changes a little bit when you let go of a 17 point lead in this game. Yeah,
6: every guy that we talked to in the locker room was like, I don't care if we had made the playoffs or if we made it to this round. It doesn't matter. We lost. And the, the job wasn't done. And this wasn't what they felt like this team was capable of or the full capacity of what this team was capable of. So it, it's, there, there were some guys in the locker room that said this was worse than not making the playoffs. Was There's nothing that hurts more than coming so close and having the Super Bowl within reach and not be able to go out there and take it.
1: We can talk about Dan Campbell's decisions on fourth down in a minute. And I want to, but I don't think that stuff exists in a vacuum either. I mean, you see drop passes on third and fourth down. You see a Jameer Gibbs fumble right after the Niners kind of reenter the game. Did it feel like the lions got rattled by the magnitude of this moment at all? Cause that's how it felt watching it from a distance. It did.
6: And it also just seemed like the luck, lady luck turned, which was one of the, like in the beginning, it was every ball was going towards the Lions, every bounce, everything was going right. The 49ers had absolutely no answers. And they came out of halftime, they made some adjustments on both sides of the ball. And on top of that, every ball went their way. Every, I mean, these guys were finding, the 49ers defense was finding every, spot to get to the the 49ers receivers were finding every soft spot in a zone against this lions defense it just seemed like the luck changed and you had all of the momentum in the first half with the lions and it just fizzled out in the second half i don't know that i would call it that they crumbled in the moment or the pressure got to them because we've seen them rise to these occasions time and time again but it certainly seemed like there was some unlucky Bounces of the ball towards the Detroit Lions in the second
1: half. <laughs> I said it earlier on the show. Like there were so many just moments of of bad luck in this game that are going to have Dan Campbell losing sleep for probably years, if I had to guess. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about it. You've you've covered this team all year. You know them better than anybody. I mean, this is what they do: the aggressive decision making, and it's paid off for them so many times. So I, I'm curious. I mean. It's easy to kill Dan Campbell in this moment. And and I would have kicked at least one of these field goals to try to preserve a three possession lead in the second half. But knowing the, t- the caliber of the team that they're up against, what what do you think of it? What do you think they make of it that, you know, they didn't stray away from this philosophy, but it did wind up biting them in the end? Yeah.
6: Running back, De- uh, running back Dave Montgomery said it in the locker room. He said, we are behind Dan Campbell 100%. We are 100% supportive of these play calls because, as you mentioned, this has worked out for them so many times throughout the season. And part of living by the sword means that you die by it too. And we've heard so many people say, listen, it's worth it. Being this aggressive, being this just gunslinging, Wild West type of offense that's going to make you defend all four downs is worth it, even in the times it doesn't work out. So now that it didn't work out, can't cry wolf now, or you can't backtrack all of those sentiments, it was still worth it. It's part of the reason the Lions got to where they are right now and got this far into the playoffs is because of that aggressiveness. And listen, against a team like the 49ers, you are not going to beat them by playing conservatively. Honestly, the fourth down decision that I was most concerned with, or that I think I look back on and say, huh, I would have done something different is where they did kick it at the end of the first half. And instead of going for it on, from the three yard line, Dan Campbell elected to kick, kick the uh, field goal, which is so unlike him. It's so out of character for this lion's offense, that
1: that's the only one that really gives me pause at this point. That is a really good point. Not a lot of people have brought that up is it doesn't necessarily mesh with his typically aggressive nature. My logic for it was just that, Hey, we've played so much better than even we probably expected. Let's not look a three possession lead in the mouth, but it is interesting. They come to that decision at the end of the first half and they're in a very similar situation midway through the third quarter and they come to very different conclusions about what they should do. I, I wonder what do you think the rationale is there?
6: I think that, when you're on your heels and you're kind of backed into a corner, this is where you try and get more aggressive. You try to get those plays. We saw Ben Johnson call that flea flicker, trying to get something started, get these guys juiced back up and and show, you know, show the 49ers that the Lions are not going down without a fight. And I think that was absolutely Dan Campbell's rationale for kind of reverting back to what he knows and what he's been doing all season. Like, hey, this got us this far. Why am I abandoning it now? Let's keep going for it.
1: I swear I'm not trying to rub salt in the, in the wounds if you're a Lions fan, but this, this just felt like it was a rare opportunity. I mean, you've got the class of the conference on the heels in, on their heels in the second half, you know, that that the NFC was down this year, but the Packers look like they're going to be a problem moving forward. You've got, you got a Jared Goff contract to figure out. I mean, you can never take this stuff for granted, but it feels like it's going to be a challenge for the lions to get this close again. Am I being a downer?
6: I don't think so because the field looks like it's going to be a lot tougher next year. And the other thing about these sudden losses in the playoffs that a lot of these lions players are experiencing for the first time is it's never going to be like this again. That's true for every single team. That's true for each year is that this is the only iteration of this lion's team that you are going to see and that's a really harsh realization to come to when it ends so suddenly. And we we've heard from multiple guys in the locker room talk about how this team is never going to be the same. This coaching staff is not going to be the same. It's just not going to be the same. And that's that's the hard part in all of this.
1: Yeah, and I mean, to that point, by the time this podcast publishes, Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator, might be the head coach of a different NFL team by by Monday afternoon, by Tuesday. It's just these again, these opportunities don't come around very often. And and I just don't think they're gonna be sleeping very well in Detroit for the foreseeable future.
6: No, this was a tough one to swallow for Lions fans. They came so close and you wanted it so bad. It was like like these guys said, it was within reach. And they just couldn't go out and grab it. So sorry, Detroit, but at the same time, it's still not same old lions. Same old lions wouldn't have made it this far. So hopefully that means that there's belief and hope for
1: the future. It's a really good point. Hopefully when the, when the ache of this subsides, there is a lot to be happy about, to be proud about. Hopefully this is just the beginning for the lions either way, Carmen, we know you'll be there to cover it. It's been so much fun talking to you about the NFC North all season. Talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks so much. To some degree, this miraculous turnaround has to feel like a weight off the 49ers shoulders. I mean, you've seen all those stats about how poorly they perform when they're down by a touchdown in the second half or when they go into the fourth quarter trailing. They don't just do it here. They do it the week before against Green Bay as well. Kind of bucking those trends that suggest they only know how to play. From in front, it's also got to be a relief to win this game. Keep in mind, this is the third straight year the 49ers have made it to the conference championship game, the first time they've gotten a win. They've actually played in the NFC title game seven of the last 13 years, and this is just their third win. This stage of the playoffs has not always been kind to them. Credit to them for keeping this from becoming the latest in a long line of heartbreaking defeats. But you're allowed to feel good about that for a few days. I guess with the week off until the Super Bowl, you can relish this for maybe two or three days. But as big of a relief as this might be, it does not change the fact that the Super Bowl drought in San Francisco is at 29 years. It's been since 1994 since they've actually won this game. And the the team they're playing next, the Kansas City Chiefs, we will get to them took one from them four years ago in 2019. Ain't nobody in San Francisco going to be happy to be there. It's about getting the job done. As Kyle Shanahan said, after the game, there's been unfinished business here for quite a while, but it's a much different team. It's even in four short years. It's crazy to think of the changes on this team in 2019. Nick Bosa Debo Samuel, Dre Greenlaw. They were rookies who didn't know what they didn't know. They probably thought it would always be this easy to get to this stage. They didn't have Christian McCaffrey. They didn't have Brandon Iyuk. And they didn't have Brock Purdy. The cast of characters that have got them to this point don't know what it's like to falter at the finish line in the Super Bowl. We'll see how they improve upon it and whether they get their business finished this time around. And like I said, it'll be against a familiar foe.
3: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS-56 RCE trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You'd be forgiven if you
1: forgot that there was another game on Sunday with all the madness in Santa Clara on Sunday night. But yes, Kansas City Chiefs will officially be the 49ers opponent in Super Bowl 58. They beat the number one seed Baltimore Ravens 17-10 to in the AFC Championship game. And look what I'm about to say probably going to ruffle some feathers, some purists and some old football crusties are not going to appreciate it. But the Kansas City Chiefs are back in the Super Bowl for a second straight year, for the fourth time in five years, seeking to win their third, having gone four and two in six straight AFC championship games, regardless of what happens against San Francisco. This is a dynasty. This is an era of football that we will remember for decades to come as, do you remember when the Kansas City Chiefs ruled one side of the league and usually all of it for years and years at a time? I think the strict definition suggests that you need to win three Lombardies to be considered a dynasty. I call bull, not when the Kansas City Chiefs have a spot in the Super Bowl locked down for literally half of a decade. They go into Baltimore and this they do it away from Arrowhead for the first time in this incredible Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes era. And they shut down the Baltimore Ravens. We'll, we'll get into Mahomes. There's so many angles to take here, but let's, let's start with the headliners, which is a dominant day from the Kansas City Chiefs defense. They went up against the soon-to-be NFL MVP, Lamar Jackson. They held the Ravens to 10 points The touchdown coming on Baltimore's second possession of the day, a truly inspiring performance. And it's got the Chiefs with a chance to win their third Super Bowl of this era and their fourth overall. My good buddy, Greg Allman, Fox Sports writer, was on hand in Baltimore to cover the AFC championship game. He and I went through every angle of a low scoring but highly entertaining slugfest between the Ravens and the chiefs. All right, Greg, the Kansas city chiefs are in their second straight Super Bowl. They're fourth in the last five years, but let's start with what really matters. You've covered a lot of football. You've been in a lot of big spots. Have you ever been part of a post-game celebration
2: with a pop superstar? It was wild. Like I'm in the tunnel on the way out, waiting to get on the field. And we're doing like, oh, she's got to be coming out of her somewhere. And I like turn around and she's there, uh, which was wild. Like as close as I am to the laptop right now is insane. And she was out there. It was neat. I mean, she's out there just like all the other spouses, all the other girlfriends laughing as Kelsey tells the crowd, we got to fight for our right to party. Um, it's wild to see that somebody who's amazing, that huge, enormous global person, more popular than any of the players that won. And she's just soaking it in. Uh, so it was, it was strange.
1: You're right. That is. It was a weird visual of like. I mean, how many, how many partners, wives, girlfriends have we seen like hug somebody after a game, to see it, to see it from Taylor Swift? I don't know. It was cool. I'm sure there are a lot of
2: people. Well, there. and it's like oh, Jim sorry? Harbaugh's here too. I mean, like Jim Harbaugh's here, <laughs> and he's basically the same thing. I mean, Jim Harbaugh obviously is accomplished a little bit as a coach, but for him to be here just as a brother, just taking it in trying to be there for his brother in a tough loss. It's neat to see. he He's just hanging out here like any other, you know, brother trying to be supportive after a tough loss.
1: I like a good, uh, I like a good change of perspective. All right, we'll, we'll have two weeks to do the Taylor Swift thing. I'm sure people will get tired of hearing about it. Let's, let's start this. And with all due respect to Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and all of these, the things that they've accomplished, this game comes down to chiefs defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnolo, his plan for, for the Ravens and this chiefs defense. I mean, what do you take away from being able to, to talk to these guys afterward about how they were able to put on that performance against Baltimore?
2: Yeah, really neat. Talk to just about all the key people on the field after while they're all celebrating all that. And, and they kept pointing back to Spags and just the, the game plan he put together, throwing everything at Lamar Jackson, Uh, man, Zone dropping on coverage, blitzing all over the place. Um, and just how important it was to keep him off his element to contain him. Um, he really didn't get to take off and run very much. Um, he has the two biggest running games by quarterbacks against the chiefs in the last five years, and that really wasn't a factor. Um, red Zone was great. I think that the I think the, the uh, I believe they had three drives where they got to the 25 or closer in the second half. And came away with three points from those drives, which is just crazy. The, the big play is just Legere Need. Uh, I've seen Antoine Winfield do it twice this year, but to punch a ball out inside the one is just remarkable. And, and to stick with it, get the recovery, and just the emotional aspect of, of you drive all the way down the field, you get inside the one yard line, you have nothing at all to show it. Uh, I thought that was huge.
1: That's the crazy thing, too, is – So many times in the second half, it felt like, okay, here come the Ravens. They've kind of, they found something. They're moving the ball. You know, the, the big play to Zay Flowers, he recovers from the taunting penalty. It looks like we're about to have a ball game on our hands. And then the Sneed play. And I've, I've always, I've always thought this was a little bit of a cliche, but to me, it felt like, you know, the chiefs leaned in a big way on the amount of times they've been in these types of spots. And, and conversely, it kind of felt like the Ravens crumbled under the pressure a little bit,
2: a little bit. I mean, you think about like the throw Lamar made. And, and again, I, I sat there after the a flowers plan. I was like, wow, if they make this a one score game that that fumble inside the one's going to be huge. And then they did it at least two more times. I mean, it was like, they got to the 25 yard line after the big pass play down the sideline to Aguilar and it, just a bad, I mean, probably the worst pass of the night is Lamar Jackson throwing into triple coverage. And Deion Bush gets the pick in the end zone that ends that one. And then even, you know, whatever it was, three minutes left, they get to the 25 again and the Chiefs stifle them. They have to take a field goal, you know, which is is probably the right thing to do down 10 there, but you kind of felt like they weren't going to get the ball back. So,
1: and they don't because of Marquez Valdez scantling. I don't know. I don't know if Andy Reid had that in his head when he called that play, I doubt you leave a trip to the Super Bowl on a shot at redemption, but it feels very big for the Chiefs that look, I mean, you got Travis Kelsey stepping up, playing like the Hall of Famer he is. We know we've known all season the Chiefs have found something in Rasheed Rice. But what do you think it means that here over these last two games, really, because MVS had a couple big moments against the Bills as well, to have that third element of this passing game maybe showing that you can rely on him in a big spot. How much do you think that helps this Chiefs, Chiefs offense heading into the Super Bowl?
2: Oh, it's huge. Envious uh, is a Tampa guy, so I've known him for a while going back to USF days. And and for a while there, I mean, the first half was all Kelsey and Rasheed Rice. And, and obviously Pacheco had a ton of carries, but those three had probably 85% of the offense. And then you saw Justin Watson get a third down catch. And you saw a bunch of the others that just made plays no bigger than than Envious at the end there. I mean, that's just the the dagger, you know, whatever chance they had at stopping him and getting the ball back with no timeouts and whatever it was at that point, a minute 20 left, uh, that ended it, that did it right there. And and you do that with a huge play and he's so open and kind of falls into the ball and catches it. And it's over just like that.
1: What I love, I mean, I, I think it's warranted here, but I love that we're this far into it and we haven't brought up Patrick Mahomes. I do think this is a day for the defense when you hold Baltimore to 10 points really nothing after their game opening drive when they're still going off of their, their opening script. But having said that Patrick Mahomes is simply incredible. Like for that performance to take a back burner, I think the the thing that's going to stand out to me years from now, when I think of this game, at least on the Patrick Mahomes front is that second touchdown drive, the guy converted half of their third downs for the day on one drive. Like, you know, he, he has the the play where he extends things and throws it to Travis Kelsey. He runs for one. He picks up another with a with a pass. Just you can draw up the the best game plan to stop this guy, and he finds a way to get it done. I mean, it it goes without saying at this point. But how big of a leg up is that for this Chiefs team trying to win a second consecutive Super Bowl?
2: Yeah, I mean, the main thing I thought it did. You're playing the number one scoring defense in the NFL. You're in their place. Loud, hostile crowd. And you go down the field and score touchdowns the first two times you have the ball in terms of deflating the crowd, taking them out of it. Uh, 26 plays, 161 yards on your first two drives. And it's 14 seven. And the offense basically checked out after that. I mean, I think their next nine drives, I think they had three points total. And it was cool because they did so much early. I, I felt like it gave the chiefs defense a leg up because they had to play so much less. Like there was a point in the first half where, uh, Roquan had ten tackles, I think. Uh, Kyle Hamilton had eight tackles, and nobody on the Chiefs' defense had more than four tackles. And that's the only guy on the t- there was one guy with four. Nobody else had more than two. So it's like the first half, the Ravens' defense just had to do twice as much work just to get to halftime and be down ten. And it, it's one of those where you thought it was going to catch up in terms of uh, the Chiefs taking advantage of that tired. And I think what happened instead is that the energy that the Chiefs' defense still had in the second half is what got on the turnovers and would help them keep the lead in the second half.
1: It's a bummer. I, I'm glad you brought up Kyle Hamilton. It's at least worth shouting him out. Like what an incredible player really? If the Baltimore Ravens go into this game and you think we're going to hold the chiefs to 17 points, they're not going to score in the second half. You're you're going to say, Oh cool. We beat the chiefs. We're going to the super bowl and clearly not the case. Just a, a phenomenal day from the chiefs defense. I think it's, it's very fun that this could be a, a chief's defense. That is, that is good enough to carry them to a championship. Cause obviously that that hasn't really been their MO here during this run.
2: Yeah. I think they took a lot of pride in, in being counted out again, it, Lamar Jackson's the MVP. So it, it's like, I think it was rightful for all of us to wonder how they'd handle him. Uh, but between being on the road and the chief not being able to win on the road and, Oh, they won. Cause all the games were an arrowhead to them not being able to handle Lamar. Uh, it, it's like Justin Reed in there. He said we kept the receipts. Like they 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 took all that in, and said we're gonna wait and we're gonna show them, and they did that tonight. I mean, this this is one of those where uh, it's ten points, uh, but for the Ravens at home in a playoff game that would take them to you know first Super Bowl and whatever it is for them, I forget eleven years, that would have been big. And instead, you're you're sending the Chiefs to their fourth in five years. Um, it, it's like the rich get richer.
1: That they do, yeah. Four Super Bowls in five years. Have a chance to win a second in a row as well as a third overall. Yeah, it's pretty good to be the Kansas City Chiefs. About as fun of a defensive slugfest as you could ask for there at m t Bank Stadium. Greg, we'll catch up with you soon, man. I appreciate it.
2: Hey, thanks, Dave. Have a good night. He
1: took a complete effort from every member of the Chiefs defense to shut down Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. But not all of them had a cool million-dollar incentive baked into their contract for reaching the Super Bowl like Chris Jones did. And not all of them are as good on the mic as Chris was with our Christina Pink after the win.
0: All right, congratulations on getting back to the Super Bowl. Chiefs still the Chiefs. What does it mean to you that you guys were able to put up this performance on the road this postseason? I think um, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. I think you look at the journey we had to take this year with all the obstacles and adversity we had to face whether well, it was uh, playing Miami, one of the highest scoring offenses in the league, going up to Buffalo, uh, you know, another prolific offense and uh, a heck of a quarterback, Josh Allen, and then being able to come here and contain Lamar. I think that our journey has uh, prevailed us, and um, we just continue trucking, man. We continue trucking um, when we need it the most, and uh, we tend to come through. Shout out to Steve Spagnuolo, though, man. Now, nobody has gave him credit enough. I don't know how he's not in uh, contention of um, assistant of the year. I mean, we got the number two overall defense. Everybody still counts out and specs I trust. And shout out to my kids, Carson, Drew, Deuce. I love y'all. Can't wait to see you. You, to- you rattled off all the accolades of this defense. Did it feel different this season, just silencing everybody that had naysayers about you guys? I like being the villain. Uh, it feels good being the villain. You know, usually. Everybody's coming to Arrowhead. We got the um, we got the crowd behind us. But I actually enjoy going on the road, being the villain, and um, overcoming that obstacle. All right, thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you, guys. Y'all take care. Love you, mama.
1: Not satisfied by a simple shout-out in an interview, Chris Jones and his guys also wore T-shirts in the post-game locker room that said, in spags we trust. So, yes, Chris Jones, not enough people talking About Chiefs defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo and the incredible job he's done. I'm going to do my part here in this week's coaching spotlight to highlight that coaching performance, not just against Baltimore, but really all season long. Today's coaching spotlight is brought to you by Verizon. It's the official private wireless network of the NFL's coach to coach communication. And yes, I feel like We've gotten to the point where we take it for granted that one of the NFL's absolute best defensive play callers is in Kansas City and seemingly is happy to be there and help Patrick Mahomes bring home Super Bowl titles. I have to believe if Spags wanted to go on to bigger and no, not better, what's better than all of this winning, but if he wanted the bigger spotlight of a head coaching job, I think he could probably have it. He's been there. He's done that. He's been all over this league. He's been a head coach. He's also the guy that masterminded the 2007 defensive game plan that stopped Tom Brady's undefeated season in New England. Remember that? The resume goes on and on and on with this guy, and I don't think any piece of it is as impressive as what he's done, creating the unit that's truly the strength of the Kansas City Chiefs this year. Yes, what Mahomes and Kelsey do, A, it's going to get headlines, B, it's going to be central to scoring enough points to win. I came into the weekend expecting them to play well. I just don't think I saw 10 points, one touchdown coming against the best team in the league. And it's the exact type of performance that should give you confidence heading into this Super Bowl. 49ers, the most star-studded, most efficient offense in the NFL. Hard to imagine them scoring less than 28, 31 points until you see the Chiefs do something like this, until you see Steve Spagnolo call up a game plan that holds Lamar Jackson to 10 points. Simply incredible. I don't know that we've given Spags enough credit for being such an integral piece of this run. He's been there since 2019. This entire run of dominance with Patrick Mahomes has also had an incredibly well-equipped defensive coordinator who seems to be perfectly happy in that role, pulling the strings on that side of the ball. And no, it hasn't always been as dominant as this unit, but it's always been a big part of it. Think back to the plays that the Chiefs defense made in the Super Bowl just last year. This is an incredibly valuable piece of what I'm calling this Chiefs dynasty. And this might be Spags' masterpiece. So a very deserving candidate for this week's coaching spotlight. Well, You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's been a long and winding road through the NFL season, and it reflects in the power rankings and how goofy they've gotten at times this year. But lo and behold, we're here to rank the final four, two teams playing, two teams lost this weekend. Of course, we're going to rank them. And lo and behold, it's the Chiefs at the top of the pile, just like everybody thought, but then everybody kind of forgot, and then everybody remembered again. I do have the Chiefs at number one heading in to the Super Bowl because of the magnitude of that win in Baltimore to go on the road and just shush the Ravens the way they did. I'll say it one more time on the show. Ten points from Lamar Jackson and company. This is impressive a performance as there's been all season. And, you know, having that guy number 15 on your side helps as well. This was a Baltimore team that crushed San Francisco at their place. Not all that long ago. So to take them down, yeah, I think the Chiefs are worthy of the number one spot, even though they haven't looked like that team often in the second half of the season. Guess what? There's no better time to look that way than heading in to the Super Bowl. At number two, obviously, it's the Niners. Incredible the way that they've rallied these last two weeks. I think it's real heart of a champion stuff that they were trailing in both of their playoff games and found a way to win both would be better if it was a little more comfortable two games that you were favored to win by a touchdown or more and squeaked by by the skin of your teeth. But you know what? You're in the Super Bowl with a chance to get a trophy. That's all that matters. I give the three spot to the Lions. It's an incredible collapse, but the way that they played, the heart that they showed, especially early, the way they were just bulldozing the 49ers. I didn't know you could do that. To the 49ers, not even the Ravens moved the ball on the ground quite as well as I thought the Lions did in that game. But you just couldn't finish the job. Still a less disappointing performance than what we got from the Baltimore Ravens. If you're a Ravens fan, I think you got to be asking yourself like so many other teams like the Buffalo Bills last week. What's it gonna take? What didn't we have? home field advantage, the NFL MVP, better options at receiver, Mark Andrews back from injury, the best defense in the NFL. It's not enough to get past Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas city chiefs. That's gotta be really demoralizing. Even more so when you think about the fact that defensive coordinator Mike McDonald could be gone after this. Speaking of coaching news, there's still plenty of that to get to. As of recording, we still have two vacant head coaching jobs in the NFL. The Washington Commanders and Seattle Seahawks still have not hired a head coach. Maybe that'll be Mike McDonald. Maybe it'll be Detroit Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, both available to talk to sign a new contract. As of right now, we'll keep an eye on all of that. We'll get an assist on it as well. Fox NFL insider Jay Glazer, on top of all of the coaching news as usual, had a chance to catch up with him on Sunday about the coaching carousel, what he thinks of some of the big hirings and decisions in the coaching world so far. All right, joining me remotely for a special Santa Clara edition of Ask Glazer, it's Fox Sports NFL insider Jay Glazer. Jay, how's the Bay? Oh, doing great, man. How you doing? I'm fantastic. A New lot players. yeah. I mean, incredible, right? Okay, so much has happened since the last time I talked to you on the coaching front, so I just want to walk you through a few of these now that we know what the coaching landscape looks like a little bit in 2024. For starters, the Falcons don't go with Bill Belichick, and it, it kind of seems like the game of musical chairs is drawing to a close, and I wonder what that means for Bill Belichick. I mean, does it does it look like maybe he takes a year off from coaching now?
4: Yeah, I think it does. I don't think he's going to go to Seattle or Washington or a spot like that. So that's what it seems like right now. So, look, I, I you know, we talked about this a lot. I didn't see a lot of landing spots for Bill Belichick. I did see one in Atlanta. I think Atlanta was going for him. Also, though, if you're going to bring Bill in, it's not just going to be, okay, Bill's going to come in and coach. It's going to be a lot more. It's going to be a lot of people who are going to re- replace uh, inside that building. I don't think Arthur Blank wanted to do that. So, you know, I think now you sit there and, and Bill has to – Decide what he wants to do with with his life. Does he want to take a year off? Does he want to go on TV? Does he want to continue to coach after this? And um, you know, I, I think if he decides that he still wants to coach, obviously that's going to be one of the biggest coaching. That's going to be one of the biggest story lines that we're going to follow for 2024.
1: Okay, let's focus on the guy the Falcons did hire, Raheem oh. Morris. I yeah. I don't remember right ever. On. I don't remember ever seeing an outpouring of support this big right. from around the NFL. What is it about Raheem Morris that that people love this guy the way that they do? And and like you said, it, it looks like a great hire. What do you love about it?
4: First of all, every day is a good day when you're around Raheem. Like you can, just can't have a bad day. So and he did so much for Sean McVay there uh, with his staff. And look, Sean last you know a couple of years is he going to coach? Is he not going to coach? I know that Rob really helped you know him through a lot. Um, but also uh, people kind of forget. And it was you know I talked to people when they were asking me, well, what happened the first time Raheem? Uh, It didn't work out when he's a head coach. I'm like, that was 20 years ago. He's 32 years of age. It was a totally different guy. Since then, he's gone on. He coached the offensive side of the ball in Atlanta with Kyle Shanahan as his offensive coordinator. He's done a great job defensively. But we talked a lot this year about guys who could build culture. Raheem Morris will build your culture. Like I said, you're going to want to every day, you're going to wake up and say, I can't wait to get to work today and go work and play for Raheem Morris.
1: If I had any doubts about that, like I said, the support from around the league just hammers it yeah. home. All right, the other big headliner, Jim Harbaugh, coming out here with us to the West Coast, the LA Chargers. What do you what do you think about the fit here, and and what's ahead for the Chargers with Jim Harbaugh?
4: Listen, all Jim does is win, so it's great. And a guy like Justin Herbert, you give him somebody like that, uh, you know, it makes him extremely relevant in the Los Angeles area. I do think he turns them into a winner because we've never seen Jim do anything but turn teams into a winner. So I think it's a great move for the Chargers. Um, you know, and I, Justin Herbert this year had an off year, but he's still, in my my mind, Justin Herbert is a top five type of quarterback in this league. What he and Harbaugh are going to do together, that's going to be, uh, they're going to cause some damage. I completely agree.
1: I can't wait to see it. All right, one more for you that I thought of while I was watching that masterclass by Steve Spagnuolo in the AFC Championship yeah. game such an incredible defensive coordinator, such an incredible performance by that chief's defense. I'm interested. Is why is there no buzz around Steve Spagnuolo as a head coaching candidate because he doesn't want it? Or, or what do you think is the deal there?
4: Yeah, I think Spags is just the type of guy. He loves being Andy's defensive coordinator. He doesn't, he listen, he's the least politician type guy in the NFL. He will not do anything to push himself out there for a head coaching job. And, I, you know, I talked to so many of these coaches, you kind of know who wants one, who doesn't. I just think Spax is really happy doing what he's doing for Andy. And what a job he did this past weekend, Steve Spagnola, you know, when it comes to defensive minds, probably doesn't get enough credit with the top defensive coaches out there. And he is uh he is, he's a great coach, but if you're around him, he's just such a good human. Also, uh, he just gets the players like the players just don't want to let him down.
1: It's a sneaky, big benefit for that chiefs team. Just want to make sure, even if he doesn't want a head coaching job, I want to make sure we give him some flowers. Jay, I appreciate you. He taking might, he might want, but he just
4: doesn't politic for one. He's True. just, he's never
1: trying to get one. We'll see. I got, I mean, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it maybe for next year, but e- either way, just an incredible job by him with this chiefs defense. No Jay, doubt. No doubt. I appreciate you taking the time remotely, man. Thank you so much. As always, I'll talk to you soon.
4: Brother, I had a great time with you this year, man. Thank you so much.
1: Great time. And just like that, that is our show. You're probably thinking it's going to slow down. Oh, my God. There's a bye week until the Super Bowl. Not so fast, my friends. This is the NFL on Fox podcast. We've got you covered. All things NFL. We will be here throughout the lead up to Super Bowl 58. Of course, we're going to talk Chiefs and 49ers, obviously. But there's still coaching vacancies to fill. There's jobs to be had. There's There's trade rumors to parse through as most of the league now begins the long offseason. Shoot, for that matter, maybe I'll even talk the producers into letting me do some senior bowl stuff. The college all-star games starting very soon. The Shrine Bowl's in there as well. The stars of next year's playoffs are practicing with an eye on draft positioning right now. If you can't get excited about that, there's nothing I can do for you. This is this is the good stuff. This is where the real sickos come out. So from here all the way up to the Super Bowl, we've got you covered. Everything you could want from game previews to draft talk to coaching rumors, everything in between. I, I don't care that the season's winding down. I'm getting fired up anyway. You want to stay tuned for everything we got coming. Please go follow us on Spotify. You know the drill. Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your pods wherever you get your NFL news we have a YouTube channel you can follow me on Twitter you can follow us on Instagram we got all that stuff too wherever however you like to digest the NFL we will be there to help you do it it's been such a fun season I know we're not done yet but it feels apropos after the conference championships it's been a blast I'm gonna keep bringing you more NFL as we go I will talk to y'all soon Super Bowl 58 it's here it's on deck let's do it